Well, today we are looking at prophecy. We're looking at prophecy and prophets and what prophecy is and who prophets are, what place these things have for us today. And first of all, before we jump into this, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but many of us are, might even disagree with where we go today. Uh, you might have different opinions on what you uh, think, what you believe about prophecy and the role that prophecy has today or the role that prophets have today. And, but the good news for us is that these are not top-tier issues. These aren't issues that uh, we need to divide over. We can have really, really fun, fantastic, in-depth conversations over coffee and all kinds of stuff and, and really enjoy going deep into the Scriptures with each other. Uh, but these are things that we don't have to totally agree on when it comes to being a church family. There's other things we have to agree on. We want to believe that Jesus is Lord, that we're saved by grace through faith alone. Uh, those things we want to agree on. But when it comes to some of these more nuanced things, uh, we're going to have varying opinions. Uh, but just because they're not top tier doesn't mean that they're not important. They're very important. I mean, they're in God's word. They're important. And they have ramifications for how we live out our life based on what we believe about some of these things that are maybe not firsthand issues, but they're secondhand issues. So we want to move forward going through this week, the next week, and in any other times that you know, we're going to be going through some more of this in the coming weeks. We want to go forward with grace towards each other, uh, patience as we kind of figure out what we believe. Now, this is something that I've really kind of you know, wrestled with for a, a long time, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years, uh, that um, it's just been something that it kind of constantly comes back to me as far as what I believe, what I see in Scripture. And I would recommend to you this morning that no matter where you land on this, whether you have a real deep conviction of what you believe or maybe the jury's kind of out for you still, you're kind of starting to figure it out, whatever you believe, and no matter how strongly you believe it, I would just recommend to you today just to take a brand new look today. Uh, it's good for us always to take a brand new look at some of the things that we've uh, maybe taken for granted. We've just kind of believed this because that's what we believe. That's how we were raised. Or that's what we were taught. Or that's what my other pastor taught me. That's what, what I teach on Sundays. And, and I never want you to take my word for it. But I want, I want to be the guy who week in and week out provokes your mind and your heart to go into God's word and have God's word convict you and reveal to you. Uh, I, I'm not an infallible speaker. We're going to be talking about that a bit today. Uh, you don't just take my word for it ever. I'm here just to show you what I've seen in scriptures over the years, but I want you to go home and I want you to test me always. I want you to have your own convictions, not just believe what Pastor Joby believes or what your pastor growing up believed or your parents. I want you to constantly go back to God's word so that you can know what you believe. And today is no different. Before I pray, uh, I have to say that leading up to this sermon and the next couple, uh, I've been very anxious for these. Uh, and I'm not really anxious um, for the potential disagreements or pushback. I'm not really worried about that. Um, I know that I love you guys. I know you guys love me. Um, but I'm more anxious about handling God's word properly. And because this is a particular topic that is really difficult, very nuanced, that's what gives me the anxiety. I don't want to misrepresent God this morning. Uh, I don't mind so much if I ruffle some feathers, but I don't want to mishandle God's word. And so as I pray, um, I'd invite you and love for you to 
just quietly in your mind, pray for me uh, as I pray for us, uh, that uh, I would be able to just speak clearly uh, and just really bring to you what I believe I see in Scripture. Um, and also just be praying for yourself that you would just uh, take these things, mull them over, get into the Word, and develop what you believe uh, is revealed uh, by Paul through the Holy Spirit in God's Word. Father in heaven, we come to you, God, opening up your book, your book that contains your words. Your words contain your thoughts, your truth, the revelation of your character, your being, your desires, your plan, your will. And so we hold these books in our hands. And God, I I hope and pray we don't take them for granted. These books that we hold contain the words of eternal life. They contain the words that are the power of the gospel. Words that have the power to transform our minds and conform our hearts to the image of your Son. You have spoken And your prophets and apostles over the years have written these things down so that we can know who you are, so we can know your word, we can know your will, we can know your thoughts. And so we want to take very seriously every time we come to your word, every time we recite your word, every time we hear your word, we want to take it very seriously. And so this morning... I pray for myself and for us that we would look at your word today and know that it's not just a, just a, um, a topic to study, but it is your word being revealed to us. So help us, Lord. Holy Spirit, we need you to guide us into truth this morning. Help us. Give us wisdom and discernment to understand what the Apostle Paul is writing down by your guidance and for us, your church. We thank you and we love you and it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So we're in 1 Corinthians 14. I'm gonna start a little bit back in 13 though just to get a little context starting uh, kind of in the middle of verse eight or in verse eight. So 1 Corinthians 13 verse eight, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters the mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. 
Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So, big text this morning. We won't cover every little nuance here. Uh, we're going to be looking at tongues specifically in the, next, uh, in the coming weeks. But even as it pertains to prophecy, we're not going to be able to get into every single little detail. So we're going to try to get kind of a bird's eye view of this. Looking at prophecy, what it means to prophesy. What is a prophet? And are people who prophesy, whether we look at the Old Testament prophesying or the people who we might call uh, people who prophesy today, are, we call them prophets. Paul says to desire the ability to prophesy, that it builds up the church. But what is it exactly? And this is just one section of Scripture that talks about it. There's so much more in God's Word about prophecy. As I'd mentioned, just time was not going to allow us to get into the depths and the nuances. And to be totally honest, this is what has been kind of giving me a little bit of anxiety and frustration preparing this sermon because I can't get into everything. And in some ways, you might leave with more questions than you have answers. But we're going to do our best. In our day and age, today, and not just today, but through the years, but I think particularly in the last you know, 10, 20, 30 years, we've seen a, a lot more kind of high-profile pastors and evangelists. And I say more in the last few years just because we have social media, we've got uh, the internet, we've got TV, all those things. But this has been going on for many years. We're just more aware of a lot of this now. But you see a lot of high-profile pastors, evangelists, teachers that make some really big, bold claims. They usually start off with something seemingly benign, like the Lord spoke to me. The Lord's spoken to me, and here's what I'm saying to you. You need to listen. Or maybe something like, and the Lord is telling me right now that you insert some kind of a command. And all of this is kind of put on with a, a bit of a display of that this is the authoritative word of God being spoken to me into my mind right now, and I'm, I'm this mouthpiece of God, and so you should listen, because I'm the man of God. I'm the anointed one. I've got some special access to God, and so you need to listen. And though we might commonly recoil at that, for those of us who know that there's something off with that kind of approach, we recoil at that, we go, eh, that seems a little strange. But we don't realize that we actually do this ourselves in our own ways. Maybe more subtle, maybe not with the arrogance, those kinds of things. And that does make things different, for sure. But we do kind of do these types of things. We sit across a coffee table with someone and we maybe just say, to him, hey, you know, the Lord spoke to me, said this. The Lord told me to go do this thing or that thing. Sometimes your friend looks at you like, are you sure? Like, yeah, the Lord spoke to me. Or sometimes you might have that conversation. You say, you know, I really feel like the Lord is telling you right now to do this. And you might not, you know, point your finger or have a stern tone or whatever, but we kind of do this a lot. We do it a bit haphazardly. So some of my question is today, is that a prophecy? Is that what the Bible calls a prophetic word or a prophesying? Did you just get a direct word from God, some authoritative word that is from God, and now you're giving it to your friend or you're giving it to yourself to give yourself direction, similar to how the guy on TV would claim, but maybe just without all the fanfare? 
Is God still speaking to individuals directly today in that kind of a way? And if he does, then are you a prophet? If God does speak to you to do or say something, or make a certain life decision, and you really feel strongly that God is leading that way, is that an infallible word from God? Infallible meaning that there's no mistake in it, that is definitely absolutely true and sure. Fallible meaning there can be some mistakes. I might be wrong. Infallible means that, no, this is from God. We believe that God's word, the Holy Bible, is the infallible word of God. And so if God speaks to you and tells you to do something, is that infallible? Is it definitely the Lord? Must you obey that thing? Now in the Old Testament, if you said, the Lord told me, the phrase that we see in the Bible a lot is, thus saith the Lord, which just means the Lord told me, the Lord spoke to me. That's how we would say it today, but the Old Testament, they would say a little more formal, especially in the King James, thus saith the Lord. If you started off a sentence that way, the Lord told me, thus saith the Lord, it was taken very seriously. Very seriously. Should we take it just as serious today? Personally. Should we take that serious when we say, the Lord told me? Which is the equivalent of, thus saith the Lord. Now admittedly, the church has struggled for ages regarding this. Defining this. There's been many, many, many very smart, Jesus-loving, Bible-loving, truth-loving people that have been on polar opposites. That's why I say, you don't have to agree with me with where I go today. You don't have to at all, because there's going to be people I'm going to actually talk about today that I really love their teaching, and I actually disagree with them. But I'm still going to listen to their sermons. I'm still going to read their books, because we're not going to agree on everything. And so as we look around, it doesn't seem to me that we would really designate that, hey, that person's a prophet. We don't really use, at least in kind of our circle of Christianity, we don't really use a lot of that verbiage. Oh, so-and-so, the prophet. We don't really do that very much, at least not in the Old Testament sense. We don't usually do that. And most people, again, in our kind of church circle, non-denominational, evangelical Christianity, most of us aren't comfortable deeming something as an absolute for sure that is a prophecy. At least most of us don't, at least in this room, I'll say. Because when and if we do call something a prophecy or a prophetic word, we start walking down the kind of the slippery slope that is this really like a infallible word from God that someone just gave? Something authoritative that shouldn't be disobeyed? And so at least in, again, our circle, we're, we're, we're pretty cautious about that. And the reality is that there's been a lot of abuses of that, and not only just in corporate church settings where you have maybe a pastor who speaks this authoritative, like the Lord told me, the Lord says we're going to do this, whatever, but also personal abuses and personal pains that have been incurred in our own lives. I personally have had this just because I've done it to myself, really believe that God spoke to me something uh, that I, I got wrong. Uh, and I've done it also, too, where I've spoken that to someone else. And people have spoken that to me. Said the Lord's telling me, and I, it's, it's happened so many times, particularly probably the first 10 years or so of my faith. Not as much in the last 10 years. I'm a little more cautious about those things. Personally giving, saying something like that to somebody as well as thinking it for myself. But this happens a lot. Oftentimes we even 
pull this phrase out, the Lord told me, the Lord spoke to me. We kind of pull that out as a, kind of a spiritual trump card for somebody. You know, someone maybe challenges us in something. They kind of push back on some, some decision we're about to make that maybe not, might not be super wise. And we say, well, the Lord told me clearly I'm supposed to do this. And then, so then your friend's like, well, I guess I can't argue with that. And so all of a sudden we just kind of pull that card out and it's just kind of an easy way to say, you can't go there. The Lord didn't speak to me. There was a time, uh, a, a friend of mine, uh, who his boss, um, this is a ministry, uh, asked the staff to come in early one day, 8.30, for a staff meeting. And this guy said, well, the Lord told me that I'm not supposed to go into work until 9 a.m. What do you say about that? And so, you know, the boss is like, well, the Lord didn't tell me that. <laughs> I'm the boss. <laughs> or there's the classic one, right? A boyfriend and girlfriend, they're dating, they're Christians, they pray together, they read devotions together, they send each other verses over text, all kinds of stuff. And then one day, the girlfriend says to the boyfriend, the Lord told me to break up with you. So now, all of a sudden, this poor young man is struggling with his girlfriend rejecting him. But now the Holy Spirit is rejecting him too. The Holy Spirit is saying, you're no good. <laughs> you're not marriage material, son. And all of a sudden, this girl, she's, she's putting that on the Lord. She's saying, the Lord told me that I'm supposed to break up with you. And so these kinds of things, when we do this haphazardly, flippantly, we can really kind of get into some, some slippery stuff. These are big claims sometimes that we have towards people that can have disastrous ramifications with ourselves or with others. And so it's important for us to then have some clarity, at least try to have some clarity. And there have been some noble and intriguing approaches to this but some that I think are good notions, but I still find a little unconvincing. So I, but I want to share a couple of them with you. Uh, the Puritans, back in the 1600s, they believed that prophecy was some kind of a spirit-empowered preaching. They felt that if a pastor was taking God's revealed, true, prophetic word, which God's word, the Bible, is God's prophetic word spoken, spoken through the prophets and apostles, that is truly his prophetic word in written form. And so the Puritans, who I love, would say that prophesying was when a pastor or teacher would speak God's word in a sermon form in some kind of a, a very adept way, a powerful way, kind of exhorting the people, challenges, calls to repentance, with some kind of just spiritual authority that's given to pastors speaking God's word, that the Puritans called that prophesying or speaking forth God's word to people. And indeed, there's times when I'm preaching and I'm going from my prepared notes as I am today. And sometimes I might spontaneously think of some other verse or some kind of connection or something. And I might speak it. And then later I'm reflecting, go, man, I did not plan on that particular place I went, but that was so great. And I do believe truly that the Holy Spirit led me to that, to say that thing. And sometimes I just, I feel like when I preach, I'm not just preaching information. Uh, but there are times when I really I feel like I'm preaching from this different place of passion that goes beyond Joby. And I reflect upon that sometimes afterwards. And so existentially speaking, I see and I can agree with the Puritans and say, yes, I have experienced what they describe and I can see that happens. But my question is, is that prophesying? I agree with what they say. I, I've experienced what the Puritans say, but is that prophesying? Others have a similar view of that. 
uh, a theologian, Anthony uh, Thistleton, he believes that the gift consists primarily of the proclamation of revealed truth in relation to a pastoral situation. While Paul indicates that any believer could prophesy, evidently those who did so on a regular basis came to be known as prophets. So you can kind of, you know, everyone can kind of prophesy like the way we're talking about and over coffee or whatever, but people who do it on a regular basis, they're the prophets. So guys that prophesy aren't prophets, only guys that prophesy a lot are prophets. So, you know, I don't know. John Calvin, okay, I love the teachings of John Calvin, thinks that Paul has in mind those who were blessed with the unique gift of dealing with Scripture, not only by interpreting it, but also by the wisdom they showed in making it meet the needs of the hour. Calvin sees them, furthermore, as both outstanding interpreters of Scripture and also men endowed with extraordinary wisdom and aptitude for grasping what the immediate need of the church is and speaking the right word to meet it. So John Calvin would say it's, it's a pastor who loves the Word of God, who interprets it well, but then knows how to apply it to his congregation. John Calvin would call that prophesying. And so by that definition, many gifted pastors and teachers in our day across this globe would be considered prophets within our church. Maybe I would be considered the prophet of Life Mission Church. But just because there are men who take God's word and skillfully and uniquely apply scriptural truth to their hearers, does that make them prophets? Is that what we would consider prophesying in the Bible? John Piper and Wayne Grudem, Sam Storms, all guys that I read their books, listen to their sermons. They believe that prophecy is when spontaneous words or insights enter into your mind somehow from God. But they, these guys particularly are very careful to specify the nature of these words. They can maybe just kind of be a general impression or a general sense of something, kind of an inkling Maybe in a particular moment, you're being reminded of a particular truth or scripture just kind of spontaneously. Maybe you're prompted to pray for someone or go up and talk to someone at the grocery store. You're kind of mind your own business. All of a sudden, your eyes just kind of land on someone and you say, I'm going to go talk to them. They would say that it's not authoritative, that these particular prophecies are, 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 are fallible, meaning you, you might be mistaken. It might just be your, your gut or your instinct or something else. They can be misinterpreted. They're not on par with Scripture as far as authority. They're not on the same level as the prophetic words of the Old Testament prophets. And so this is a common belief among many circles. And even in our circle, a lot of the different pastors and authors that you guys might read, this would be a very common uh, belief. However, I'm not convinced as much as I like the sound of it. And I've experienced what they describe, and I love the teaching of these guys, but I don't totally think it jives with what I see in Scripture. It doesn't quite settle to me that what they describe, even though I actually experience what they describe, I don't quite see it as prophecy in the Bible, the way the Bible describes prophecy. And one problem that I have with it is that it seems that we're trying to define a phenomenon that we actually experience, and we're trying to force-fit it into something we see in Scripture. We're, ta- we're starting with our experience, and then we're trying to go and put it somewhere in Scripture. So we're starting with the experience and trying to fit in Scripture rather than starting with Scripture and having Scripture inform our experiences. Too often, we build our theology on what we experience in life. 
God must be this because this is how I feel. God must be this way because this is what happened yesterday. Rather than starting with scripture saying, this is how God is. And so this is how it makes sense what happened yesterday. This is how I compartmentalize and how I, I categorize what happened because I know what God's word says. So sometimes we start in the wrong place. And so specifically in this instance, when we feel inspired or guided by something outside of ourselves, something spontaneous, whether it's me with preaching or having a conversation with friends or you're praying, you start feeling a burden for someone, whatever it might be. Maybe you give some really wise counsel to somebody, you walk away and go, man, I I've never thought about that before. That was pretty good. That must not be for me. Whatever it might be, and these are things that we really experience, and we don't know quite what we would do with it. How do we explain those things? How to label that? And so then we try to retrofit it, I think. We kind of force the experience into some word or phrase that's found in the Bible. And so then we have a word like prophecy, which is a word we have a hard time defining. And so we say, well, those two seem to like they, they fit. And that's what I, I feel like, at least that's what I do. I'm not saying that's what you do, but I feel like that's kind of what I do. I go, well, those things kind of look like they're sort of related, maybe. And, but then if we kind of change the definition of prophecy a bit, I think, I think we can make this work. It just feels forced to me. One reason I think it feels forced is that, let's just say maybe, maybe we like our definition of prophecy. It's what we just described, just kind of spontaneous words given to people or insights. Okay, so we, all right, that's prophecy but we still haven't defined what a prophet is. Unless we make those who have those impressions, myself included and you, those inklings and impressions, unless we are calling ourselves not prophets because we get these prophecies. After all, I think it would seem strange to call those things prophecy and then not the speaker of those things to be prophets. It just seems like that would be strange if we didn't do that. But I believe that rightly we're hesitant to call people prophets because we do see that in the Bible, the prophets had a huge role and a huge accountability for what they said. So I think it's right that we actually are hesitant to call people prophets or call ourselves a prophet because we see that in the Bible, that was a huge deal to say, I'm a prophet. So that seems right. But yet we're not hesitant really to call things that we say, maybe prophecy or prophetic words or whatever. We're hesitant to call ourselves a prophet, but we're not hesitant to call what we do as prophecy or prophesying. It's almost as if we want the benefit of speaking things prophetically, but don't want the responsibility of being called a prophet. I think that's just a bit too convenient for us. Paul says the apostles and prophets laid the foundation of the church. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and to 21, Paul says, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus being himself the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, the church, is being joined together on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ being the cornerstone. Us, the church, we're being built together, joined together. We grow into a holy temple in the Lord. Paul seems to put the New Testament prophets, which would be the prophets that if they existed, it's these guys. He puts the New Testament prophets on par and level of the apostles. The foundation of the church is laid upon them. And that isn't speaking of Old Testament prophets. He's not saying uh, on the foundation of the New Testament apostles and the Old Testament prophets. And we know that because just a couple chapters later, he speaks of those prophets again in direct relation to the church being built. 
He says in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 13, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So these prophets are New Testament prophets. He's not talking about the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles. They built the foundation. No, he's talking about New Testament prophets, prophets that were in existence after Christ, and they built the foundation of the church. So if you've ever had a time when you feel like the Lord impressed something upon you, on your heart, and if you call that a prophet, your prophetic word, are you a prophet? Which apparently in the New Testament was on par with an apostle. It's the church being laid upon the foundation that you and I are laying when we have these impressions. Now, many will say, they'll push back on this, and you might be doing this already. Many will say, no, 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 there's, there's kind of capital P and lowercase p prophets. Kind of like the, the quote earlier that I was saying that, uh, that uh, uh, Thistleton said that uh, anyone can prophesy, but only those who regularly do it, they're considered prophets. So that's kind of Thistleton's way of saying there's kind of lowercase p prophecy, just kind of the inkling, the impressions over coffee. And there's capital P prophets, the, the proper prophets. And they would say something like, you know, just like, for instance, everyone shepherds, everyone pastors, you pastor your kids, you shepherd your wife, you shepherd your friends, but only some are capital S shepherds that actually shepherd over a church and have this calling and what we might call an office, a role of being a pastor or shepherd. Well, they say, hey, we all teach. We teach our kids. We teach our friends. We teach in Sunday school. We teach in our community group. We teach in coffee shops, but only some have this spiritual gift and are called to be capital T teachers in the body of Christ to teach corporately doctrine and truth. And so they would say that in the same way, everyone can prophesy, or many people prophesy, in a small way, through encouragement and wisdom and things like that, exhortation, but only some are called to be capital P prophets. And just because, they would say, just because we lowercase p prophesy doesn't mean that I'm a prophet. Just like, just because you shepherd your kids doesn't mean that you are a pastor. So I say, okay, that's fair enough. It's a, it's a, it's a very good argument. And I agree that most of us, if not all of us, we all shepherd in some kind of a way. We pastor in some kind of a way. All of us teach in some kind of a way. All of us administrate in some kind of a way. All of us encourage in some kind of a way. So when you look at the list of spiritual gifts, most of us do most of the spiritual gifts, at least in some form or fashion. And I'd also agree that some are particularly gifted in those things, called to be kind of capital E or administrators. Uh, encouragers, capital A, administrators. So I agree with that. But if that is the case, and if you do argue that people do the lowercase p prophesying today, then we still have a problem. What is and where are and who is the capital P prophets? Because I agree that everyone shepherds to some degree and teaches, but I also see pastors and teachers and administrators in the church today. We call them those things. So if we say, and it, again, it's a good argument, but if we say uh, we all prophesy in a little p kind of a way, that's fine and great, but then where are the capital P prophets? Who are those people? And so we, I think we still have a, a problem trying to figure this out. So, so that argument is not satisfying to me, even though it's a good argument, but it's just not satisfying to me. Where are those prophets? And 
can I have one in our church, please? Because I would love to have someone who just hears directly from the Lord, just speaks to us. I could, I could quit, you know? I could just, I could just sit in the, in the chair every day and have the prophet speak the infallible word of God to us. I would love to have that. So where are these people? Now, many, though, if not most, the people who believe this, argue this way, they say, no, they're not like Old Testament prophets who speak infallibly, but they are different than Old Testament prophets. They are fallible. They're not the, the infallible speakers of God's truth like the Old Testament prophets. They're, it's different. And even Wayne Grudem and others and many other very, very, very gifted men believe that New Testament prophets are different than Old Testament prophets. New Testament prophets are fallible and could have a mixture of error in their prophecies in the early church. But then my question is, why? Why would it be different why all of a sudden does the job description change with no warning or clear signaling from Paul or anyone else? All of a sudden, the whole job description changes. The bar is lowered. You don't have to be infallible anymore. And where in the Bible does it actually say that? There's no explanation for that. And, and Paul seems to write assuming, writing to his recipients, he writes assuming that they know what a prophet is. But it's clearly the same thing. There's no explanation. Says, oh, by the way, we change everything, just so you know. So when I say prophet, I don't mean like the way you guys know prophet. It's a different type of prophet. His, his recipients knew that the Old Testament prophets were tested to make sure that they were true prophets, that all, that all their prophecies had to be tested to be sure and true. If not, those Old Testament prophets would be stoned. They would be killed. It was serious business in the Old Testament. And Paul offers no qualifying change of definition. His writing seems very seamless, the way he talks about prophets. It seems like he's just talking about Old Testament prophets, but now they're living after the time of Jesus. Speaking to many Jewish audiences, even writing these letters, who would know exactly what the role of a prophet is. They knew exactly what was expected of a prophet. And yet he never clarifies to them that this is some new class of prophets and that they're different. He writes almost seamlessly, assuming that nothing has changed. You know, there, there's no, oh, oh, and by the way, so when we say prophets, just FYI, we lowered the standards. We kind of made it easier to become a prophet these days. And we just couldn't think of a new title for them, so we just called them prophets. Even though it's nothing like Old Testament prophets, we just couldn't think of any new word for them. So we just kind of stuck with prophets. It's, it's a nice sounding word, so we're just going to stick with that. I think that he probably could have figured out a different title to give something that has a totally different role. Especially something, a, a huge role like what the Old Testament prophets had. So if the New Testament prophets are similar in authority and infallibility, if that's the case, and I believe that is the case because I just don't, I don't see any description that it changed. If that's the case, then where are they today? Are they still walking the earth? Or was that office, that particular role, that particular gifting only given at a certain time in church history for a particular purpose? I know many people push back on this idea that some of the gifts, some of the gifts have ceased. However, many Christians would agree, even ones that argue against what I'm saying, many Christians still agree that the office of the apostle is no longer in existence today, that it was needed at one time to establish the doctrine and mission of the church on the planet, that once the church was established, that, that we no longer needed capital A apostles. And so many people wouldn't argue against that even if they argue against what I'm saying about prophets. We had the 12 apostles. We had Paul, Barnabas, James, and a couple others. But after that kind of first century-ish, the church was established. The mission was established. In the 
apostles as infallible speakers of God's word and will. Once they established the church, we no longer have apostles. But now instead we have pastors, teachers, and others to carry on and build upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And many on both sides of this discussion actually believe that. So what I'm asking is, is it the same for prophets and also potentially for prophecy? So I want to run through a few views here with us. These are two very broad camps, a lot of nuance in between. And again, you're going to find yourself in one of those or somewhere in the middle or you're just going to leave confused today. But the two broad camps that we'll, we'll look at a little bit here is one is called continuationism. Some of you, some of you uh, that have been in the church longer, you might call it char- uh, charismatic. Uh, it was the more common phrase for a long time. And then eventually some people started calling it continuationism, meaning that the gifts, all the gifts are continuing today, all of them. So the gifts are still for today. Still, people still speak in tongues. People still prophesy. There are still prophets. We have signs and miracles today. And this ranges. So this isn't just one category. This ranges, broad range, from, the, from way to the, we maybe call the left, just the, the Pentecostalism, right? It's the kind of things that I was talking about earlier, just kind of thus saith the Lord, speaking authoritatively. This is God's infallible word coming from the man of God or whatever to kind of maybe something more in the middle, just someone that you might call a charismatic or a continuationist. And then you have other people uh, who would call themselves cautious but open. I'm open. I'm open that that God speaks in this way or that uh, tongues still exist today or whatever. But I'm I'm cautious about it. I don't jump right on it and say, oh, that was the Lord, but I'm I'm, I'm just cautious. But I'm totally open. Okay, that would be kind of the more conservative end of continuationism. And then you have what's called cessationism, which this word comes from that, that these people believe that some of the gifts have ceased. So cessationism. So these folks believe that certain gifts, such as prophecy, tongues, and some of the miraculous gifts have ceased. That their purpose was in establishing the foundation of the church and that purpose had been fulfilled. Now that ranges from complete cessationism. These guys believe that God doesn't do any miracles, God doesn't heal, uh, God doesn't do anything amazing these days. Uh, sometimes you might even, uh, you know, I, I sometimes describe that side as being kind of emotionless that uh, those guys sometimes kind of believe in the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. And the Holy Spirit is like, we don't talk about him, right? So that's the real extreme side of cessationism. But there's also, if you want to call them liberal, there's a more liberal side of cessationists that are also, they would call themselves cautious, but open. They're cautious. Yeah, I don't think that it's normative, I don't think it's the norm that God would, you know, speak something directly to you, but I'm open because I know he can. And so some of those would say that generally speaking, the gifts have ceased, or not all the gifts, but just a couple particular gifts for the foundation of the church have ceased. But I'm open that they can still happen in certain situations. Now, a lot of times when you have that side that I just described and then the person who's cautious on the charismatic side, the way I look at that is like you've got this chain link fence and these people can touch fingers in between. That's how close they are. That's how close they are. So sometimes we find ourselves sometimes working out of a different glossary. You might call something prophecy and I might call it something a little different, but it's really the same thing. An impression or or some kind of inkling, whatever it might be. So sometimes we're actually talking about the same thing. We just kind of have a different dictionary that we're working from. That happens sometimes. For myself, I probably sit indecisively on top of that chain link fence where I'm touching both my fingers to each other through the chain link fence. 
I'm, I'm generally a cautious but open guy, but I don't know if I'd call myself a cautious but open charismatic or, or a cautious but open cessationist. I don't really know. But I'm so close on those things because I am so cautious, because I'm very careful about saying or hearing someone say, God spoke to me, God told me this, God told me that. I'm, I'm very cautious. I take that very seriously. But I'm also, I'm very open. I know that God leads us and, and, and works in our hearts in various ways. So what I don't like about the modern day, the one we would call maybe prophecy, is the, the tendency or sometimes to get a little cavalier, irresponsible, using God's name and using his will and declaring that to yourself or to people. I take very seriously that. I think that sometimes we use that too loosely. I mean, have you ever, here's an example. Have you ever heard someone say to you, hey, I, I heard you told so-and-so about this thing the other day. And you go, that is not what I said. And then you go to that person and say, did you tell them that? I said, because I did not say that. I mean, how much does that irk you? Uh, that you, you hate being misrepresented, don't you? I, I, don't like, I don't like when people say that I said something, and I didn't actually say that. Or how about when your kids say, well, you said we could have dessert today. If, if, we, you know, if, if, we, if we clean our room, you said we could have dessert. I said, no, I never said that. I did not say that. They said, yeah, you said that to us last week. Okay, son, that was last week. That did, context, children, context. Right? But what happens is we put words into each other's mouths and we do these things. Or, or, or how about, you know, uh, this has happens more frequently lately. You have a Facebook account and someone hacks into it and they're sending out fake uh, friend requests or messages or whatever. Doesn't that just bother you? It just, it's, it's annoying. You have to t- send out an email to everyone. You have to say, hey, don't open anything because that wasn't me. It's identity theft. We don't like being misrepresented. We don't like people saying that we said something when we didn't actually say it. But oftentimes we don't mind throwing out a flippant, well, the Lord told me. The Lord said, the Lord spoke to me. We get really flippant with that. In the Old Testament, they took that very seriously if someone said, the Lord told me. I take that serious as well. I take that serious for myself. And, and just so you know, if, if, if you use that language, I, I usually understand where you're coming from, what you mean. I, I, most of you I know and I know you don't mean the Lord gave me some infallible word. I, I, I know that sometimes we're just using a different glossary. So I don't, I, don't, I don't correct people on this in just casual conversation because I know that many of us, we're just using a different glossary. So I understand context. But I take it, per, I take it very carefully and I'm very careful with my words, even especially when I'm preaching and when I'm talking to people because I know that people will take what I say and they'll run with it. So I am very careful. You will very rarely, if ever, hear me say some of the things I said, like the Lord spoke to me. Even though I feel like the Lord, it, he, he puts impressions in my heart and he leads me in certain ways, I'm just, I'm careful with my words. I don't want to lead someone to believing that Joby has some special, you know, red line to Jesus. Because the reality is we all have the same red line to Jesus. It's God's word. It's the Holy Spirit living inside of us. You've got the same Holy Spirit, the same Bible that I've got. But some, just because something can be abused the way I'm talking about, that we can get flippant, just because it can be abused doesn't mean we should throw it out. doesn't mean that it's wrong. So I understand that. And so that's why I appreciate the careful approach of some like Wayne Grudem and John Piper and those guys, John Calvin. They have a more nuanced way of using the word prophecy. So I appreciate that. I think they're very careful. And I think that many of you, as I've talked to you, I think you're very careful with how you use phrases like the Lord spoke to me. And, and if, you, if you use words like prophetic word, I know that you, most of you are very careful people. And so I appreciate that. And I know that, again, we're using different glossaries. 
However, I still don't believe personally that we should call that prophecy or even authoritatively something from the Lord. Because again, my question is, if that is prophecy, then are we prophets? And I'm not convinced that prophecy, as Piper and Grudem spell it out, is actually prophecy. It seems to me that if the prophets, along with the apostles, were pivotal in speaking God's authoritative word in the first century to establish the church and set the church on her course for the Great Commission that God has called her to be on, I, I believe that that was for that time. I believe that New Testament prophets functioned the same way as Old Testament prophets. They were tested and tried and true prophets who spoke the infallible, revealed word and thoughts of God, just like the Old Testament prophets did. They went around the region, spoke God's word. Prophets proclaimed the good news. Apostles planted churches. And together, as partners, they established these churches on the firm foundation of the new covenant with Christ as the cornerstone. They revealed God's revelation of his son and his plan to show the big picture of God's redemptive plan that was previously hidden to the Old Testament prophets, but now being revealed to the world. I find it unlikely that the apostles spoke God's infallible word. Many of those words have now been recorded in our Bible that we study and trust in, and they were partnered up with prophets who spoke fallible prophecies. I find that very unlikely. It's like putting together an all-star dream team, a basketball team with three guys who can sink every shot from the paint, from the three-point line, and then two guys who hit, miss, half, miss half their shots and airball it from time to time. I, just, I find that very unlikely. These, I'm going to set the foundation of the church on these apostles who speak infallibly and these prophets who sometimes blow it. I find that unlikely. To set the foundation of the church upon those guys, I, to me it seems like the apostles and the prophets both spoke infallibly, representing God for the purpose of establishing the church. And this isn't just based on logic, I don't think, but other biblical examples that we don't have time to get into, unfortunately. But it seems that in some kind of gradual time, as those two offices fulfilled their purpose, they were no longer needed. Those particular, those particular offices, apostle, prophet, ceased was no longer needed because the foundation is laid and now the pastors, teachers, administrators, encouragers were now building upon the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone of the church. So what does this mean for us then today? What do we call then the leading, the impressions, the insights that we do get from the Lord? What do we do with the times when you feel or think something strongly and you believe it's from God? And I do believe there's times when it seems as though Again, I'm careful in my words. I say seems. Seems as though God is somehow giving us direction or guidance or leading. I know those things happen to me. I just would not call it prophecy. And in some ways, maybe this is semantics. I say tomato, you say tomato. I say inkling or impression, you say prophecy. I know that sometimes it's just semantics. But I still think words are important. Definitions are important. Semantics often matter greatly. Words matter. Definitions matter. I do think there is a danger, a potential danger in calling those things prophecies because we get it in our head. We're too easily swayed by feelings and impressions as it is. Now to label them as prophecies or prophetic words from the Lord, that can, that can be potentially disastrous for us or for other people. So I just want to walk through just a few examples before we close up here. A few examples that 
I kind of see happen in my life and in the lives around me, just to kind of give you just, I don't know, just some handles, I guess. Some things, some ways I see this type of phenomenon happen that some people call prophecy, prophetic word. Others call maybe an inkling or impression or God leading or whatever. Uh, sometimes they're speaking and thinking what I call naturally supernatural. Okay, so speaking, these are in your notes. You can follow along with me. Uh, speaking spontaneous spiritual counsel to a friend, praying for someone who comes to mind, feeling led to speak or act in a certain way. We experience that. We also experience sovereign speech bringing up certain topics out of the blue in conversation, some kind of coincidence. I can't believe you just brought that up. That's so crazy. You know, we say things like, that's so the Lord, you know, whatever. Um, Sometimes we can over-spiritualize these things. You know, a, a more charismatic person might say, I got a word from the Lord for you. The Lord spoke to me for you. Someone who leans more cessationist might just speak more naturally. Something I just might call that sometimes, like if I'm, uh, speaking to someone and I, I, you know, the, the Lord somehow shows me, impresses upon me something to speak to them. Or maybe I, I see someone in a store and I just I feel like I'm going to go talk to them and I normally wouldn't do that. And so I walk up to them, I start talking or whatever it might be. It's spontaneous. Sometimes I just call that sanctified insight, sanctified wisdom, sanctified thinking, a renewed mind. Joby of 15 years ago would never do that because Joby of 15 years ago is so much more selfish. I had far less faith in the power of the gospel to change someone's life just by a spontaneous meeting. But over 15 years of the, Lord's, of the Lord moving in my heart and changing me and the spirit actually working powerfully in my mind. Now when I go out to the grocery store, I'm actually looking for people to talk to. 15, 20 years ago, Joby was looking to stay away from people. But because my heart's been changed so much by the power of the Holy Spirit... And so that's kind of a little bit of a misnomer is that a cessationist doesn't believe the Holy Spirit doesn't work in a believer's life. Because I look at the last 20 years of my life and I see the Holy Spirit working powerfully. And so when I am going out into the marketplace, I'm actually looking for people that I can share the gospel with. I never used to do that. But I won't over-spiritualize it and say, man, the Lord just you know, uh, gave me this word for the Lord for that person. Uh, to me, I, to, for me, the way I define it is, the Lord has just sanctified my heart and my mind in a way to where now I'm just, I'm just looking for people to share the gospel with. So I don't over-spiritualize it. But again, some of that could be glossary. Someone calls it you know, a divine appointment. Other people just say, I just, I just, I'm just kind of looking for people to share the gospel with. Maybe it's a growing heart of compassion. But I would still very much give credit to the Holy Spirit for that. With sovereign speech, going back to that one, these are things not done on purpose. I remember one time I was uh, preaching, and I mentioned that I had epilepsy as a, as a kid. Uh, and it was just something that was part of my notes, you know, and it was a, a story that I told. And then afterwards, someone came up to me. It was their first time ever going to church, and, uh, and they'd battled with epilepsy. They really related with that, and it really hit them big because epilepsy had debilitated them their whole life. And I don't just call that a coincidence. I don't. I call it God's sovereign love for that person, God somehow bringing to mind as I'm preparing just to share that story. I wouldn't call that a prophetic word. I wouldn't say that I just prophesied that, but that was just God leading me, leading him to that church on that particular day. God's sovereign power working, the Holy Spirit working powerfully. Then there's faith-filled exhortation. This kind of ramps it up a bit. You have a strong feeling or conviction to share with someone. You really feel strongly about a decision they're about to make that's maybe a bad decision. So you're going to say something to them that's a little more forceful, a little more bold, 
I would just say to be careful not to over-spiritualize. Don't over-spiritualize something that's your strong conviction or opinion. Sometimes you might feel very strongly about it, and you can maybe say, I, I believe this is what you should do, or maybe the Lord would have you consider this, but be careful to ever say, the Lord told me this is what you should do or not do. You might have an inkling or a sense for that, and that's great because the Holy Spirit is working you with compassion and wisdom and discernment. So you should speak to your friends. Just be careful how you speak to them. Oftentimes, these kind of more forceful, bold words are mixed with other spiritual gifts like wisdom and discernment. And so we recognize that some of these gifts are all kind of intermingled, teaching and wisdom and discernment, different things. And then there's the no-go zone that I call it. No-go zone. Don't go here. For others, and even speaking to yourself, be very cautious of declaring, the Lord told me for sure. This was definitely absolutely from the Lord. There was a time um, when we were pregnant with Liam. Well, Katie was pregnant with Liam. I was not. And a gal came up to us, and uh, she said, the Lord told me you're supposed to name your son Oscar. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, the Lord didn't tell me that one. And now, now, now think for a moment, though, if I was a younger believer, if I believed a little too hyper-spiritually, imagine the guilt that I would have feeling I'm supposed to name my kid Oscar. And then when we don't, I'm thinking for a long time, is God going to curse my son? Is something bad going to happen? Did I disobey the Lord? Do you see what I'm saying here? This is why we have to be so careful with our words to declare authoritatively the Lord spoke to me for you or even to yourself, the Lord spoke to me, I'm supposed to do this. And now you're closed off to spiritual counsel and the wisdom of your friends who have insights into your life. I'm just saying, be careful. I call that the no-go zone. Don't, just don't go. That's the spiritual mic drop. The Lord spoke to me. And so if you don't listen, you're disobeying. Don't do that. So to close here, I, I, just, wanna, just, to be, I just wanna be clear on a few things. Hopefully, if I haven't been clear, I do believe, church, that the Lord leads us. The Holy Spirit leads us in our day-to-day -day life. I do believe that he gives us burdens and compassion that was not previously there in our own natural thinking. I do believe that he gives us wisdom beyond our ability and beyond our own senses. I do believe that he impresses upon our hearts many things into our hearts, into our minds, for our own self and for other people. I do believe that his word in the scriptures take root in our minds and hearts. And over the years, they change the way we pray. They change the way we see strangers. They change the way we see our friends. They change the way we see our own circumstance. I believe that God's word is powerful and living and active in our lives. And so as I'm going through the marketplace, I know that God's word is active in my heart because it's taken root over many years. And so in that sense, the prophetic word of God, the Holy Scriptures, is actually alive and well in my heart. And it has been changing me. And so I do act and think differently today than I did five, ten years ago. And I do believe that God sovereignly causes us to encounter people in crazy ways. Some people call it miraculous ways. Some people call it sovereign ways. Sometimes it's just semantics. But I do believe that God leads us in his sovereign will and ways in our life. And he brings about having conversations that are a bit odd sometimes. We say, I don't know why that topic came up. I haven't talked about that in 15 years, and yet it came up today. It's crazy. 
I do believe that we say things that come to mind spontaneously that were perfectly timed for us or for other people. I just wouldn't call it prophecy. And I wouldn't call them authoritative. I wouldn't bet the house on impressions that I get for myself or other people. I wouldn't let them be the final authority for the decisions I make in my life. And I do believe that God does miraculous things. And again, if you disagree with me on my conclusions, that is totally, totally fine. I've believed this this way for seven or eight, nine, ten years. So if you've been in this church for three or four years, nothing should change for you after this day. Because I'm not, this isn't something I, I newly believe now. And you're going, oh, I'm out of here, right? This is, what, this, is, this is how I've been living my life. This is how I've seen God's word. And so if you want to call these things prophecy and prophetic words, I totally understand. Totally understand. These guys, John Piper, Wayne Grew, they call it that too. I'd love to hang with them. I'd love to hang with you. However, for all of us, I would say this. Whether you believe they're direct prophetic words from God or whether you do as I believe they're the fruit of sanctified minds or some kind of impression or leading of the Spirit, I would say this. These should not be our primary source of guidance. They shouldn't be the deciders in our choices. They shouldn't carry the same weight as God's word. And I'd go so far as to say they shouldn't be sought after. As if we say like, well, if only God would show me, if only God would give me a sign, if only God would speak to me. Don't seek after those things. Seek God and his word. Don't let them be directive, just some confirmation or maybe preparation. And know that we don't, we don't need those things to live and survive. God's word is our bread. God's word is our daily bread. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. And I, again, I pray that you guys would wrestle with this on your own. Get into God's word. Look up the cross references in 1 Corinthians 13 and 14. Go to other places in scripture. Look up sermons, read books. Send Eric any emails that you have with complaints. <laughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful that God, even in this, um, we can kind of get bogged down in some things that maybe bother us a bit about this. You know, we ask ourselves, what well, does that mean that God doesn't speak to us today? And God, we have to remind ourselves that yes, you do in fact speak to us today. You've been speaking to your church for thousands of years. You've given us your word. You've revealed to the apostles and prophets your infallible word, the word specifically that you wanted us, your church, to build our lives upon. The foundation of the church is built upon your revealed words, the words that were written down for the last few thousands of years through the prophets and apostles, both Old Testament and New. And you have done, Father, everything necessary for us to know your word and know your will and know your voice because you have taken your voice and your word and your will and you have put it in your scriptures. We have everything we need for life and godliness contained in your revealed word. And we're grateful, God, when you lead us in different ways, when you put uh, someone on our heart in a particular way, we're praying or we're walking around, whatever it is, we love that you're active in our life. We love that your word is active in our hearts that brings to mind other people. We love that your word finding root in our hearts actually gives us wisdom for the different circumstances in our lives and for the lives of people around us. God, just remind us 
that you have given us all that we need to know you. You've given us your son and you've given us your scriptures. We thank you, Lord, for the apostles and prophets that laid the foundation of the church. And God, help us in our spiritual gifts, whether pastors or teachers or administrators or encouragers, people who have just uh, uncanny wisdom, discernment. God, help us to build upon the foundation that was laid by the apostles and prophets. Help your church be built. We wanna see this church and the church in this world come to full maturity, as your word says. So help us, Lord. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lead us and guide us each day. You lead us in your word. You lead us in our life. We love you and we thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.